0: Dark web to your radio. You are listening to Cyber Talk Radio on News 1200 WOAI.
1: Welcome to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran. This week, we're going to be talking about the Internet of Things. And uh, as most folks uh, think about that, this is not just the the camera in your house. Uh, This is not just consumer devices. Uh, I'm joined uh, this week uh, by an expert, James Bram, and I'll let James give his background to you here in a moment, Uh, He's going to help us understand that the Internet of Things is is much more than just these consumer trinkets inside of our house, and uh, we're going to dive in and discuss, are these things really being built in a way that they can protect themselves from hackers? Thank you for joining us, James. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So how did you uh, stumble your way into the Internet of Things and into uh, helping folks think about all the aspects of, of an internet of things, business, whether you're going to incorporate them into yours or whether you're going to build one yourself. You know, that's it's, it's
0: a very long story and rambling,
1: but I worked
0: outside of technology for the first five years of my career. Uh, and it was at a time when that company transitioned itself and went digital and I got hooked on it. Um, ended up working for gateway, the PC manufacturer, you, net, the network operator that is now Verizon's backbone. Um, and uh, was fortunate enough to work for RackSpace for a number of years, um, and, and do a lot of fun things there. Well, Internet of Things is truly the device, the network, and the cloud, right? And so, so I then went to work for a company called Frost and Sullivan, a large 1,500-person market research and consulting firm, and they brought me in, and my customers drew me into
1: working with them on the Internet of Things. Yeah. So for, for those uh, listeners that may not have heard of Frost & Sullivan, uh, they're here in San Antonio as well. Uh, it's a, another uh, one of the uh, national and international uh, firms uh, running a, a great business uh, out of this city.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a blip on the radar after Rackspace and ended up being about a 10-year career and then decided to go out on my own and do, do my own thing because I had clients basically pull me that direction.
1: Yeah, so we recently uh, had a guest on talking about uh, – Internet connectivity and some of the computing in industrial control systems. Uh, How do you kind of help folks differentiate between an Internet-connected industrial control system and an Internet of Things? Well, I look at it as uh, almost um, the evolution of man.
0: You start with SCADA, which uh, SCADA solutions were basically command and control um, uh, connectivity solutions on industrial solutions. Then we moved into location-based services, which were connecting the vehicles that were go- out there servicing different products. Then we moved up the, the stack to traditional, what we called machine-to-machine, which went where where uh, people took those SCADA and location-based services platforms and tried to horizontalize them across all different vertical markets. And then, and then uh, we moved into the consumer world, where as Moore's law met Metcalfe's law, and as Compute got cheaper, and as um, the devices just got uh, uh, stronger uh, and and it had more computing power, we saw this this influx to any device that could be connected should be connected to the internet and to other devices, and it's just been truly that it's been uh, an evolutionary period.
1: Yeah and and you have have some of these devices that are are directly now connected out over the internet um but for many of the large enterprises they've been using these uh, connected field technologies for quite a while uh FedEx is kind of famous about this all of a sudden um over the years we saw that all FedEx and UPS trucks all started turning right they didn't take yeah. left turns anymore and they figured this out by putting GPS tracking on their machines all of their trucks out there feeding that back in and, and optimizing their delivery routes based on that information. Um, so you have this inside of enterprises have been doing this things for a while. Maybe they're going out over a phone network or some type of wide area network they had set up. But now with the internet and affordability, you're starting to see it used as the backbone to deliver all of these instead of private networks.
0: Yeah, exactly. Correct. And, and, and um, a lot of times when people talk about the Internet of Things or machine-to-machine machine and they give their numbers and, and say how many devices are there out there, they, they, they give these numbers. And I, and I talk to my clients, AT&T or Verizon, somebody like that, and say, shame on you because you have actually a ton more connections because you've been doing this in a railroad for how long and, and doing wired connections. So nobody knows how many exactly endpoints are connected because how many can you have at the end of a phone line? Right, yeah. that that are, that are connected, um, and, and uh, doing signal crossing for for rail, um, doing um, uh, gate control on farms, ranches, you know, in in buildings, um, uh, logistics uh, facilities, things like that, and um, and just take a look up every now and then and see how many video surveillance devices there are around. I mean, there's a lot of wired stuff as well as the the wireless stuff, but ultimately it all goes over a single ip backbone you know which is the internet
1: yeah it's it's all converging even if you you have a a private mpls network at this point that's running over some set of shared infrastructure across even the large carriers backbones this very few folks are paying for their own private fiber at this point for long-haul backbones Uh, It just the security reliability and affordability of something like mpls to make things virtually private has driven most of the users out there that direction. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the Internet of Things out there and some of these industrial use cases, rail crossings, uh, farm gates, farm fence tracking. Was a, That's an interesting one for me. So I had a customer um, back in, in my time at the phone company, a really large uh, cattle ranch, and they ran an X25 network over their barbed wire fence, um, and they would have a node on that network every mile of fence line. And they could see where the break in the fence was by the fact that the router went offline. And these routers were tiny little routers powered by battery and this was the most efficient way they could figure out how to monitor fence breaks on a, a ranch that was thousands of miles of fence line.
0: You know, I, I grew up on a farm in Iowa and, and we raised cattle and it would have been a much easier process for me to go out and check the electric fence and see if it was still operating if I could have done that on my iPhone. But you know, when I was a kid, I had to go out and actually grab the wire and see if it was snapping yet. So yeah. that, that wasn't fun.
1: No, no, not as much. So we we've talked a little bit about some of the agricultural uses of internet connectivity, some of the fleet management uses. I think folks have, have heard those FedEx and UPS stories. Now, uh, it is you, you get into medical devices, uh, what's healthcare doing with regard to uh, connecting uh, patient care to the internet? There are some
0: really neat applications out there for. For medical, um, but there's some challenges for medical as well that we'll talk about after that. So uh, connecting the patient itself, um, I worked on a project several years ago with the Alzheimer's Association, which was really really neat, um, where we were able to track folks if if they if they got off off course a little bit and, and, and got away from their caregiver, um, you could go in and and uh, and, and track them. I, I want to say it was Stanford's medical group that that actually worked with an organization. On a connected cane, right? So when when a person is walking with that cane, what where's that pressure coming from? They put gyros and, and accelerometers into it so they can tell is that person going to slip? Are they going to fall? Are they putting pressure on the wrong side of themselves? But truly, the things that that hit the day to day and where the rubber meets the road are glucometers. Um, I, I think that the largest deployment uh, from any one company out there is uh, sleep apnea machines and making sure that they're working, making sure that they're, they're impacting the patient, and feeding the records, medical records, right back to the physician.
1: You, you have all of these uses that are much more than just the security camera on the house or the baby monitor. And as uh, you as a listener go through thinking about uh, all the different devices in your home, in your office, uh, and in the uh, places that you, you work in your home in your office and in the places you visit either as part of your work or personal life throughout the day. Internet connectivity is everywhere. Information's being fed in across all of these from a industry analyst kind of view. uh, What is the number of connected devices and what does this growth rate look like? Well,
0: I always like to to say it's it's big now and it's going to be huge Um, and it's moving fast and it's spiraling out of control. But truly right now, um, when we take a look at, at where we're at, if we look at the total number and we, we take a look at a, you know, a top-down view, if you include everything, wired, Wi-Fi, cellular, ZigBee, home, plus industrial stuff, you're looking at probably around 7 billion connected devices right now. And estimates are up there. Um, our estimates have it around, you know, in, in four or five years, looking at, you know, 20, 25 billion devices where we, we've seen some estimates that um, the World Wireless Research Federation has, has got a number out there of 7 trillion devices ultimately that could be connected.
1: 7 trillion. Yeah, I and mean, if you, you think, it's like you mentioned the cane a minute ago, like should we all have pressure sensors in our shoes to see if we're walking properly to detect if you've got a muscle pull or anything else? Yeah, so be, is, even as an individual, you could get to where you have, uh, I guess it's 7 trillion, that would be maybe few hundred devices per person, but that's completely believable as you look at, at all the ways uh, that computers uh, can start to impact everything we do over the course of the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the number is going to be truly that high because
0: there are, are challenges on getting to that that number. Connectivity in other nations um, and, and other regions of the world, uh, payment models right now. Intellectual property is going to be a battle over the next few years. And and, and um, the cost—it's it's going to be cost prohibitive to to scale as fast as what a lot of people are thinking. But if you look at each of these vertical markets, there are going to be some unique challenges within them. In healthcare, for example, I mean, what's going on now with Obamacare is is going to really impact um, IoT. You know, are we going to have a payer model that supports it? I mean, you have to think about who's who's involved there. You have the pharma, the pharmacy, the physician, the payer, the payee, the hospital itself. Um, so who's going to pay for the device and 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 provide it out there as of use. And a couple of years ago I was at the HIMSS conference. Um, it's a large healthcare information management and, and, and we had this panel and and it had one person from each of those areas on it and myself. Um, as an individual analyst on it, and and it went down a list, and everybody said, you know, we're work, working together to solve these problems, and what I found out was that the pharmacy was working with the physician, and the 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 patient was working with the the insurer, but the four of them weren't working together. Yeah, you know, and 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 we're we're still not to that point, so. How do we scale this thing? It, it, it's, it's unfortunate. There are so many ways that that IOT could heal people that could help people um, provide the biggest impact to our socio economic um, status right now. And we just can't get out of our own way on, on figuring out how to make that happen.
1: Yeah, the, the healthcare industry is a complicated one, uh, where you look at the medical device manufacturers, and in many of their contracts, they're waiving all liability for their devices if they get hacked. Uh, and then the hospital's not wanting to take any liability, even though they're potentially the one providing you the device, or your doctor's recommending the device to you. so. Uh, you, you you have uh, a complicated supply chain there inside of healthcare, and you have this in in many other industries. Healthcare is a great one to talk about it as an example because um, all of us have had personal experience with the healthcare systems over time, so we have some familiarity with it. If we talk about the supply chain inside of the agriculture industry or inside the railroad industry, that's a little more convoluted, or even import export for for many listeners to be able to digest, uh, but in the this healthcare world and and using that as a foil to talk about uh, security for the internet of things uh, in that responsibility model right now, what are you seeing uh, from folks there on, on who's going to, to bear that mantle of responsibility to make sure that these connected devices in the healthcare industry are safe? Wow. Um, we've done some research on, on,
0: on security on, actually on rolling out the device itself and no one wants to take the responsibility there. Nobody. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, it seems security seems to be the biggest um, challenge. It, it, it is number one on our list. When we, we come up and say, you know, what are the greatest challenges out there? Security's number one, every quarter it's number one on a list. When we ask the questions on who's responsible, it's a lot of finger pointing. So, I, you know, I, I don't even want to guess that one. I think in this instance, mandate's gonna do. You know, that that's that's who's gonna be responsible. Whoever is mandated to be, you know, to, to, to be responsible. Yeah. Um. Because when when we think about these devices, we think about what what are the SLAs on them, and and no one wants to put death into an SLA. That, no. Those two things just don't equate.
1: Yeah. So like if we we look at the automobile industry, uh, cars started getting safer after there was a regulatory mandate for safety improvements. Cars started getting more fuel efficient after there was a regulatory mandate for increased fuel efficiency. Uh, What I think I'm hearing you say is in order for medical devices to get safer, there's going to have to be some regulatory mandate that forces accountability across uh, some of the folks in that supply chain yeah the, uh,
0: unfortunately the legislation we've got in the last 10 years hasn't been around accountability. it's been around um, um, safe ownership of, of, of information and that's it right yeah um, but but it's kind of funny um, you know a couple of months ago I, I, I went around a corner on 35 to i10 and and here was a truck tipped over and it was full of medical records. okay we got HIPAA out there saying we're not going to sign anything off. these were the paper records they were just scattered across. Uh, the freeway and, and blowing everywhere. So, you know, it, it it that kind of mandate doesn't do anything uh do any good. We have to have mandates that that, that actually have some teeth. Um and unfortunately, the, the 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 rhetoric I've seen from most of the lawmakers has been pretty poor. Yeah, at this point.
1: They're all, they're all focused on trying to figure out how to reduce uh healthcare costs right now yeah. and and, and costs and security generally are on opposite sides of the scale from each other uh, and is the way folks think about it. I don't think that's always the way the economic reality of that works. If you uh, make things safe and secure, you eliminate uh, catastrophic incidents, you eliminate those large risks, and those large risks can often end up being a part of the big expense inside of a, a complex system.
0: You know, each
1: one of these vertical markets that are out there, healthcare
0: being a vertical market, have their own standards organizations and standards bodies by which they 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 create their products and services and unfortunately no one's been able to come in and coalesce and pull all these things together into one standard if we did have one standards organization out there that were able to pull pull things in you you can argue that the same need for security of a medical device is there for a device in a retail uh, point of sale yeah it is the same type of security that's required for industrial oil and gas or or natural gas transmission lines right i mean you're going to have to have pretty tight and stringent security around uh, what's going on there otherwise you're going to have catastrophic explosions that kill people
1: yeah i know you you look at the as we talked about the electrical systems on a previous uh, program if you take the uh, utility grid offline everyone's okay for a while in the middle of the august heat maybe not that long uh, if you take the utility grid offline long enough, then the water plant is no longer able to provide water. Now you're out of electricity and now you're out of water. And so um, all of these are becoming Internet connected. All of them are becoming controlled by technology-enabled uh, valves and systems and components. It's no longer someone manually going out there turning knobs and dials to maintain these systems. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you look at the um, different failure scenarios and the the human impact behind some of these and you do see a need for a broad um, set of requirements across uh, all of these areas it's a that's an interesting one you bring up is there's no internet access license like we've got a driver's license you've got to go do some basic things to be able to get behind the wheel of a car and drive but there's no license to get on the internet there's no testing it just like you can just buy an internet access connection Plug basically whatever you want into it. There's some private sector terms of service that says you shouldn't plug certain things in. Um, But as long as you're not doing direct criminal activity, there's no really requirements to secure your things.
0: You're absolutely right. Um, You know, I I was joking with somebody this morning and I said we we were talking actually about the security aspect of things. And I said, you know, some people are more worried about securing the device than they are about other Implications around security nets, data ownership, and privacy. Because at right now, what we've all only talked about is connecting the device and, and and having connected devices. We're not talking about what's coming in and out of those things. Yeah, and it's and it's relevant contextual data that's real, right? And and I think we're creating a new economy based on that relevant contextual data.
1: Yeah, that that's a, a another interesting way to look at it is because across each of these different industries. Uh, in the retail space, there's PCI uh, compliance and there's data privacy around that credit card information. That's a private sector um, built in, and run and operated standard. And then in the healthcare side, you have HIPAA and the related legislation to HIPAA that talks about the safety of electronic medical records. Uh, and you you go into the financial services space, and there's a uh, FINRA and there's the SEC and a number of uh, different agencies and regulatory frameworks there for the security and privacy of financial data. Um, All of these are all about the privacy of the data. They're not necessarily about uh, a fixed set of controls and systems uh, for anything that's plugged into the Internet still. Well, and and, and if I
0: look at my list of vertical markets, it's about 50-50 on whether there are controls around and regulation around the data or not. You bring up that long list and then I, I'm thinking today um, in the wellness space, is somebody willing going to go out there and hack Fitbit and we're going to have this master Dr. Evil that creates a uh, what they're probably going to create a, a robotic or mind controlled group of drones to take over the world that that are middle aged and, and mediocre at best um, or. Am I more worried about a big corporation gathering data from Jawbone, which had wearable devices just like Fitbit, and is 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 filing for bankruptcy and liquidation? Yeah. And there's no controls over the data that was collected, right? I bought a Jawbone. My terms of a, my terms of use, I agreed to give my data to Jawbone. I didn't get, agree to give my data to big company that's going to buy Jawbone and those assets. I don't want big company Facebook or Google out there marketing to me based on how I used my jawbone, but they could now yeah. because there's no controls on on, who owns and, and the ownership and uh, of contextualized, real, personable data.
1: Yeah. And I mean, then that jawbone transaction will be an example of legitimate um, legal, at least I'll call it a uh, sale of data and, and for a new owner to have access to and rights to that data. Uh, As we uh, talk more about the Internet of Things and all of this data after the break, uh, we may dive into some uh, examples or scenarios where there's this gray market out there for data repackaging and redistribution to where um, cyber criminals are getting into these Internet of Things devices, and they're taking the data out of those, uh, anonymizing it in a way, and repackaging it to sell back to uh, all sorts of companies um, they end up buying this as it, it's data laundering, um, just like money laundering, because data is really the new currency in uh, this Internet-connected world. If you've uh, just tuned in uh, to start listening to us now and uh, you want to hear this complete discussion uh, between James and I about Internet of Things and Internet of Things uh, security, where this market's headed, and how it's being applied across both industrial uses and home uses, uh, you can... Listen to the rebroadcast uh, online on our website, www.cybertalkradio.com, on Tuesday following this program. It'll also be available on iTunes Podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts for your Android users, and uh, many of the other podcast services out there I just had. a uh, listener let me know that he's uh, been uh, enjoying some of the programs on Podcast Attic as well. We're going to take a quick break here for the bottom of the hour update for news, traffic, and weather. You're listening to 1200 WAI. Uh, James and I, after the break, uh, will be back to talk about the Cybersecurity Improvement Act. Uh, it's Some legislation that has been drafted. Uh, it's not law yet, but it could be on its way there. Uh, we're also going to dive into uh, the details of the numbers, where's the growth uh, coming from on these 7 billion devices that are going to be plugged into the internet. And uh, where are the jobs that are going to be tied to all of those new connected entities? to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by James Bram, an expert in the uh, internet of things and uh, the security aspects related to that. If you uh, are just joining us here now after that news traffic and weather update, uh, you can catch the full uh, replay of this program. And you can also catch all of our past programs uh, via iTunes podcast, Pocket Casts. many other podcast services out there Uh, you can learn more uh, about our program on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com if uh, you'd like to hear a specific topic or uh, you're interested in being a guest yourself uh, let us know and uh, contact us there james uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us again this week Uh, it's uh, been uh, fun here for the first half of the program and i'm looking forward uh, to diving into a few more topics in some depth here in the second half great so we had we mentioned uh, the uh, Cybersecurity Improvement Act, the IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act before the break. Uh, so what's the, the story behind this uh, legislation? Well, truly, it's um, a couple of senators have gotten together,
0: and they um, want to mandate that uh, the manufacturer of a Internet-connected device, an IoT device, when that device gets sold to a government agency or entity, that it is fully patched, fully um, capable of of not being hacked, and um, maintaining it for the duration that the government owns it, and and basically saying we're gonna we're gonna make sure and we're gonna guarantee that you can't be hacked.
1: That's a, a pretty strong statement, and I like the the idea of uh, just using their own spend as a customer. Uh, if you want to sell devices to them, you're going to make them safe. And in order to do that, then we could look and see uh, through freedom of information uh, which devices are being sold to the government, which devices are meeting the standard, and they uh, could get bought in the private sector as well. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen either. No? No. So this act, is. it sounds like it's, it's proposed but going... Nowhere, at least this session. Well, I think that they're going to,
0: if if they get this thing through, you're going to see a lot of pushback from the vendor community because no one can guarantee 100% reliability of, of you just don't know what you don't know. And if the government wants to, wants to push this through, then we're going to end up with a whole bunch of bricks. We're going to end up with a whole bunch of, of devices that are not hackable, but probably not usable and not cutting edge as well.
1: Yeah. So you're saying that the the government's going to end up buying outdated, um, expensive uh, systems with limited features uh, that no one in the private sector or consumers um, and the the home use are going to want these same devices. Yeah. You know,
0: I I take it back to a discussion that I had about 15 years ago, 10 years ago with um, one of the founders of a antivirus company. And he said, "I got the best job in the world. All I have to do is wait for what's going to happen, which is things are people are going to get smarter and 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 uh, and, and they're going to and they're going to be hacking and exploiting more, and, and they're going to find exploits, and I get to patch them. I got a perpetual job forever. I never am going to have the cutting edge thing. I'm always going to be one step behind somebody. Well, yeah. that's that's where we're going to be at here as well." Everybody, you know, there there's nobody that's going to be able to create the definitive I'm not hackable device and if they do and they put it out there then it's got a big bullseye on it that says you know, come for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, we see this with every release of, of an iPhone uh, Apple's got a great team of security engineers doing a ton of work uh, to try to lock that phone down so it can't get rooted um, so that it's only running safe apps, and if it's out there connecting to the app store or other things that it's doing in a way where they can control that system. And every time they release one so far, we'll see uh, with the one coming up here uh, in the fall, they release one usually here at the end of each year in an operating system update, Uh, whether this one will get rooted or not. um, As we look back to the previous years, folks were paying uh, upwards of a million dollars now for... Uh, a hacker to get in and root this. So as you said, it's a big bullseye, a big target. But those hackers know the value of being able to uh, backdoor their way into all the iPhones out there.
0: You know, it, it, one of the funny things about this is you got the federal government pushing on this and, and a couple of senators pushing on this. And these guys don't understand security. There's this element of security that I always call the uh, the the human nature of it. You're going to have people pushing to hack to get into areas that they're not supposed to. Leave a, leave a young child in a room and tell them not to open up that drawer, and they're gonna. As soon as you leave that room, they're gonna tr- they're gonna go over there and they're gonna look inside that drawer. That's human nature. But also, you can't fix stupid. And the problem that that these senators truly are gonna have is these are guys that have given out their doled out their password to two or three assistants and four interns, and and they're saying you know. We're, we're going to mandate that you're going to be secure when, when ultimately it's about data and information. And by giving out their, their passwords uh, to their computer, they've, they've opened up, you know, a, a nest of, of security potential issues. I mean, come on. It's it's about data. It's about privacy. It's about efficient use of things. And, and this to me, this, this act doesn't make that much sense.
1: Yeah, we had a congressman heard on the uh, program. If you wanted to listen to that, you can check that out via iTunes podcast or Pocket Cast. Uh, In in that specifically, he goes into some more detail uh, walking through um, why we have um, some difficulties on cybersecurity legislation right now. Uh, He's one of four of our representatives in Congress that has a computer science uh, background. Uh, So there's more folks in Congress with medical backgrounds, and they're still vastly outnumbered by folks with non-medical or non-cybersecurity backgrounds, and and these are sort of two of the top legislative areas right now, is thinking about where and and how do we uh, secure things across the Internet, Um, how do we look at this next generation of uh, what is a declaration of war and all of these things, the wars moving from conventional weapons to, to Internet access again, and. Uh, we are not necessarily set up uh, today with uh, an elected body that has a deep knowledge and understanding of the next generation of uh, threats for us.
0: It, it, it's not like security is, you know, locking one thing up and it's in, in, in your network secure. It's 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 a, a bunch of collection of inter- interrelated issues out there. It's you have to secure the network, the device. Um, the application you have to maintain persistence on the network um, connections you have to patch and maintain updates in the operating system you have to scan for vulnerabilities you know there are so many different aspects of this that have to be done um there's no timeline for any of these things it's it's always best efforts and as fast as i can um and, and the funny thing when somebody brought to me the 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 act as it were and i scanned through it i thought do these guys really think that the vendors out there are trying to get by with giving out devices that can't be hacked? Who gets called first when something gets hacked? It's the vendor. So of course the vendor wants to pr- provide um, uh, as, as much of a non-hackable device as they possibly can and, 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 and updated and patched. I think that we need to take a step back and take a look at what's out there right now in our uh, critical infrastructure space and how do we secure that because that's where the real problems are going to come from.
1: Yeah, and you, you go across many of these uh, areas, and uh, with the Internet of Things and these devices uh, being somewhat embedded, uh, the patching, update, and maintenance on uh, things like railroad tracking signals and others is not. Um, done at the same frequency that patches and updates are done on your laptop or your cell phone. It seems like every morning I wake up and there's 14 new updates to apps on my phone to download. Um, those systems out there, um, some of them not even necessarily designed to be patched or updated or firmware replaced remotely. They have to have somebody go out and plug something into each of them.
0: You know, it, 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 if, if we're looking at, at uh, some of these devices being cellular devices, you know, the device could be, I'll take a step back and I'll, I'll, I'll tell a tale on myself as well. So when I was with Frost and Sullivan years ago, we didn't have enough wireless bandwidth. I was one of the few laptop users in the office, and we didn't have enough wireless bandwidth. So probably about every three or four weeks, I would actually go reset the router. I would just go change the password on it. I'd hit re- the reset button, and uh, and and go reset reset the thing. And next thing you know, I got pretty much unlimited bandwidth myself for for you know three, four, or five days until the uh, MIS group would would figure out what I had done. Well. You know, it's kind of the same thing out there in, in the uh, industrial world as well. If somebody realizes someone has um, a cellular gateway connected to this, you know, pipeline, product, whatever whatever it is, Redbox is is known for having a lot of cellular connected machines out there. They had a problem for a while that people were breaking into the back of the Redbox machine and taking a SIM card out so they could put it in their phone or in their laptop. So, you know, there are so many different aspects that have to get 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 looked at. I mean, that's... That's that's one I thought was, was hilarious when I found that out was that, you know, you could actually by taking out three screws get into the the area where you could actually pull the sim card out and and, and then that could be used for whatever you wanted it to use. Now, that was easily fixed by them years ago, but it was something that, you know, upon first look,
1: they didn't think about it. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and uh, we're discussing Internet of Things, um, some cybersecurity legislation tied to that. And if you uh, just tuned in to join us on the air, uh, thank you. And uh, you can uh, listen to the full program uh, online on Tuesday uh, on our website via www.cybertalkradio.com or on your Android or iOS device via Pocket Casts or iTunes podcasting service. So, James, one of the other things we had promised uh, those that are sticking with us here on the program was a a deep dive into the numbers. So we're going to get up to 7 billion Internet of Things, Internet-connected devices here. So the the growth that we have in that now is this. We've got 350 million people roughly in the U.S. Are all of those devices getting added here? uh, Where and how are are these devices getting onto the Internet these days? So... No, they're not all getting added here. A lot of them are.
0: But if you look at China, China is growing so much faster. In the United States right now, there's about 78 million uh, cellular-connected uh, Internet of Things devices. Uh, China Mobile themselves have 150 million, and they're expecting 200 million by the end of the year. That's amazing. It's amazing growth that they're seeing. Um, we we talked to somebody in China, and they said, uh before the I'm not sure which summit it was, G twelve, G whatever that, that took place uh in, in China. They did six million video cameras were put up that were connected in about ninety days ahead of that. Six million in ninety days. Yeah. They can scale like nobody can scale. Um, you know, elevator companies are, are connecting their elevators, right? We got a million elevators in the United States that are getting connected. They're putting a new uh, 1 million new elevators in every year in China. So each one of those has is, is, is got a connection. Um, so if, if you look at China, they're growing the fastest, ob- obviously. Um, then you look to Western Europe and, and, and the United States as, as being the bellwethers. But there's a lot of really interesting things going on in, in Africa um, with uh, solar power and, and, and the need to connect um, uh, solar networks that way down there. Um, so you know when I when I think about what the numbers look like, we talk talked about some of the challenges in healthcare and things like that. If healthcare turns itself around, we figure somebody waves a magic wand over it, that's going to explode, right? But right now we're we're looking in the United States at at the automotive and and uh, and fleet management solutions making up about 51% of the connections, you know, asset tracking, retail, smart city, smart grid. Security, surveillance, healthcare, and consumer electronics—all—all all those vertical, what I'll call vertical application areas, are less than half right now of of the total connections. Um, automotive and transportation is is actually set to poised to grow tremendously as all the connected car manufacturers want to have that autonomous car. Now, I got some feelings around the autonomous car that I don't I don't think we should be doing that anytime soon, but. Certainly, connecting data out of the car, doing proactive maintenance on a vehicle, making them better, um, proactive scheduling—you know, things like that—for for, for my oil change are things that I think we should do. I'm not sure I want the same artificial intelligence engine that's running my autocorrect on my iPhone to be, you know, driving me and taking me home because you know the other day I was just telling somebody I, I I was replying to a to a client about when we could talk to him and I said. And I was typing in Monday or Tuesday would be good. And I get Monday or, and it it set, recommended Saturday. Sweet yeah. sweetness third, yeah. right? These weird numbers. I've never typed sweetness on my phone. Are you kidding me? Maybe once during f- fantasy football when I was talking about the late great Walter Payton. Maybe I've I've typed type sweetness, but it doesn't it doesn't make sense. You know, and and I certainly don't want uh, want my uh, my car driving me home. You know, I want to get to, to 3rd and Main. I don't want to get to 3rd and Dead. Um, so I think we're, we're a few years off from that. But there's some other mandated things out there that, that are going to come up in, in you know, uh, electronic logging devices in fleet vehicles, big over-the-road trucks. You know, um, an electronic logging device tracking hours might have prevented the, the uh, catastrophe that Tracy Morgan went through. Um, asset tracking... Um, in the cold chain space is going to improve um, the quality of life if, if we think about uh, f- for people all over the world you know 60 percent of, of agriculturally grown products are um, are wasted before they get to our table so um, it, it's going to be going to be nice to see some of these areas grow and, and also improve life in a in way that we live
1: on um, the, the self-driving car piece, we had a past program where we talked about the ethical dilemmas of AI in autonomous vehicles. Uh, it's a very interesting topic that you can go on uh, about hours. You can go on, uh, you, can, you can talk about for, for hours uh, on its own. Uh, and, I mean, and related to, to that, there's also been uh, some news articles I've been reading re- lately about sign hacking. Uh, This is going to be the the next wave. So if you can make these autonomous vehicles, even if the image recognition and all the things we see with our eyes, if you can make it understand that, what happens if kids go out with a screwdriver and take the stop sign down? As a a human, we're going to be able to look and go, there's a pole there with no stop sign on it. The self-driving car is looking for a stop sign to know that this is a four-way stop or a three-way stop. So even if you can perfect the software for, a controlled scenario it's going to be interesting to see how uh, that translates through to the actual real world which is messy a, a company that we've worked with in the past makes digital signs that get pulled
0: out by the dot and, and get put there you know like merge left and and they've seen people go in and hack them and 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 really foul up what traffic's going to be either just blank them out or put one one uh, case, they had somebody um, uh, propose marriage over over you know digital sign. knew his fiance was going to be driving that direction, so so the guy went out and hacked the sign. You know, will you marry me? That's a, a, type, type thing. You yeah, know, will
1: you marry someone who's behind bars? Uh, (laughs) because that's a pretty good way to to get caught. Like, I wonder who did this. I think we will continue to see this growth and proliferation of connected devices, whether maybe it's a a rational good idea or not, because uh, people value uh, simplicity. They value things that increase their productivity, and and we're going to head on down um, this Internet-connected and autonomous world where we have uh, more digital assistants doing more for us. Uh, So tying uh, back to this, Job growth from the numbers you look at and how you uh, see things out there. Should folks be studying cybersecurity? Should they be looking to uh, build a set of skills to get hired into helping either cybersecurity companies themselves or working for cybersecurity departments of folks? As we've mentioned here, every industry is going to have internet connected things. It's, it's interesting you asked that question
0: because I just actually had a discussion with my nephew Alex, who just graduated from uh, from O'Connor here in, in town and, and is headed off on a on a full ride to Alabama, um, and I said to him, "Study either cybersecurity or analytics. We're going to see a huge need as we see more connected devices out there. Not only that, I mean, I think we've got the the app stuff pretty well covered right now, um, and and the UI pieces. It, it's it's the interoperability piece that's missing as well." So maybe at that fundamental deep dive layer is, is another area that we that we need to probably have some some jobs growth into because my connected car is still not connected to my connected home which is not still not connected to my calendar on my iPhone right wouldn't it be great if um, I pulled out of my house I, I was running late so I forgot to shut off my lights and my ceiling fan and as my car got, Farther away from my house, it shut off those lights and, and things like that. It interacted with Alexa, right, in my house to, yeah. to do those things. And it, it saw that traffic was going to be jammed up along the way. So it got to my planner and saw that I had a meeting 30 minutes, but I was going to get there in 40 minutes. So I couldn't send out a, an automated task note to somebody that's saying, can we push the meeting back? We're not interop, uh, getting to that interoperability stage yet. So cybersecurity, analytics. And that deep dive interoperability stuff are, are those those areas that we're going to need?
1: Yeah, on that that interoperability one, it's a it's an interesting uh, area. We'll maybe love to even talk about that for a whole uh, program because in order yeah. to have that interoperability, uh, you have to have all the data in one system, one decision making. Uh, platform has to be able to see all of those different things to understand the context and make the appropriate decisions uh, you've got uh, the folks uh, Google assistant and um, cortana and Siri uh, all trying to get some of that stuff into your phone you've got some of these auto scheduling um, x.ai and these other uh, online services that try to be an administrative assistant for you um, looking at things uh, that as a consumer and a, or a business person do you want to trust? any provider with all of your data or is there a way for somebody to build an interoperation platform where you are the custodian of all of your information and you're not having to share it back to some central service well you're gonna put me up on a
0: soapbox now aren't you right now we've just counted there's over 740 different companies out there claiming to have a platform or the platform of choice for data and for creating these connected uh, applications now I don't believe that you need to have a single platform. I think that my ceiling van could have been developed on one platform and, and Alexa could have been developed on another platform and, and I can merge those two things and and have them work seamlessly. I believe that if Congress wants to really do some good, they mandate that the data that I produce is my data and I can point it to wherever I want it to be pointed to. It's, Who today it's whoever is the system of record wins, whether that be the carrier, um, the insurance company for usage-based insurance, um, the uh, ceiling fan company for for ceiling fans, and having allowing me to take that data that I'm producing from my connected ceiling fan and give it to my insurer. I want that to happen. Yeah, that way they know that rates are gonna, you know, that that I use it correctly, that it's not overheating, maybe they're gonna give me a little bit be- better rate. Um, it's that system's a record thing, and I believe that Congress needs to to go ahead and mandate that because it's ownership of the devices, you know, part of it, but in, in these connected devices today, it's it's truly about ownership of the data.
1: Yeah, that that one on the the data piece brings up interesting things, especially with the uh, automated home. If you, you sell your house, and I've got a learning thermostat in my house, and it's learning my behavior. Do I sell that to the buyer of the home, or do I factory reset and wipe the the learning thermostat, or the learning sprinkler system, or all of these connected home devices? Does the the data that those have built up about running that home efficiently transfer in a sale of the property or not? I don't even want to answer that question because
0: I I, I still think that a lot of these learning devices don't learn very well, so. You know, I, I think it should transfer over, though. I mean, seriously, we should figure out a way to, to make them transfer over. But if I'm the if I'm the thermostat manufacturer, I want to say, heck no! I want to sell another thermostat. So, you know, the one thing that that uh, we haven't really touched on is, is is standards. And every one of these vertical markets and vertical applications have their own standards, and each manufacturer almost has its own standards. So. Um, I, I was asked you know, by somebody, could a, could a company like UL come in and, and coalesce and bring, bring us all together in, in this space? And I'm not sure because they do a great job with connected consumer electronics stuff, right? I don't know what it would take to, to do it when we're across all these different vertical applications. It's, it's consumer electronics and it's in healthcare. And it's, but they certainly need to work closer together because the problem with standards is everybody's got one and they're pushing it out there and and there's things tying together and working together.
1: It's a uh, big one uh, to be a topic of its own, maybe on some future program. Thank you uh, for joining us this week, James. And thank you uh, for listening out there to CyberTalk Radio. If you want to listen to future episodes of CyberTalk Radio, you can see the schedule uh, on our website. If you have ideas uh, for show topics or would like to be a guest yourself, please go to visit our website and you can fill out the forms there and reach the show.